Hello, hello. Welcome to the Java STEM podcast. Today's guest is Emily Kang from San Diego, Sunny, California. She won second prize grant award in microbiology at Intelisef 2019. Her project was called Turning Over a New Phage, a novel approach to phage therapy. Besides that, it's a punny and creative title. Her approach minimizes the potential for resistance in bacteria, which is, of course, a global major concern. She's also involved in synthetic biology. Emily's going to the iGEM competition hosted by MIT this fall, and her group is using E. coli to degrade toxic compounds in crude oil. So I'm excited to have this conversation, and hello, Emily. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. For sure. Now, I think you are the third or fourth one in microbiology, so we can say that we are really interested in the organic complexity of these little creatures, and <laughs> and your work also, yeah, they, they are essential to our survival, because they say that microbiologists are the best predicting the future, because they are always just looking for, you know, when bacteria will kill us, but yeah, they do represent harm. Anyways, let's just jump right into it. So why did you choose to implement phages to combat antibiotic resistance? Yeah, so actually the first approach that I, um, that I thought of wasn't using phage. Uh, the idea that I had was to cycle between antibiotics, so essentially using two antibiotics and then um, implementing one, and then if the bacteria de developed resistance, then add a different antibiotic, and then um, I thought hopefully it would lose resistance to the first antibiotic. Um, but actually because uh, bacteria have plasmids that, um, that confer resistance to so many antibiotics, it doesn't actually have much of a fitness cost to, uh, to have that resistance, so they don't the antibiotic resistance for the first um, antibiotic. Sorry, it was a lot of time saying antibiotic. But, um, and then I actually found through more research that uh, bacteriophage, so viruses that target bacteria, are actually able to have this kind of dynamic relationship with bacteria. So think of it as a predator-prey relationship. Even though um, it's disputed whether viruses are alive or not, they definitely can adapt. Um, so that was the first idea that I had. When I actually implemented it in the experimental setting, uh, it didn't work out. But that's when I moved towards a successive approach where um, you'd add one phage and then if the bacteria developed resistance, or sorry, you'd add one phage um, and then after a certain time interval, you add a different kind of phage and so on. Um, so I kind of want to direct back to the current standard of phage therapy, which is called a phage cocktail, um, where a bunch of different phage are added all at once. Um, so it's even if um, it's pretty effective for now, but it's because all the patients who've used phage therapy are really in their emergency cases. Um, so all the antibiotics haven't worked against their infections. And using the phage cocktail approach actually exposes the bacteria to all these kinds of phage. So if there's um, resistant bacteria to that phage cocktail, then we really have no backup option. Whereas um, the successive approach of adding uh, phage after a certain time interval um, minimizes the phage that the bacterial infection is uh, exposed to because you can end treatment whenever the, uh, the infection is eradicated. So you can say that by using phages, 
we can describe this whole mechanism as a not a static but a more dynamic target approach involving the drug treatment and it's more successful because we know that just as you mentioned that only using one antibiotic is not sufficient and then they start using more and then we'll have the cross resistance in treating that disease so that's why it can interact with the bacteria and that brings its success exactly yeah Okay, wonderful. And could you expand on your experimental settings? How did you start it and what did you use? What materials and, you know, all the, um, the research questions are coming up? Because I did my research in the high school biology classrooms, which are uh, BSL-1, um, I used E. coli and two E. coli phages, so T1 and T4 phage. Um, and like I said, my first approach was kind of using the coevolution, the dynamic relationship between them. I was trying to test whether resistance was actually lost or not, um, and that didn't work out. So my second approach, I created growth curves uh, where one one of the groups was using the successive model. So I started the E. coli culture with one type of phage, and then after a certain time intervals, which I tested different time intervals too, um, I added T4 phage, the second phage. Um, and then I modeled a phage cocktail by adding both of the phage in at once. And then um, I modeled uh, just adding one single phage um, by, you know, adding one of the phages. Yeah. They yielded different results in return. So what was your, so your control was the single phage better or the sequential approach? Well, I did one with just E. coli, of course, but... Yeah. Um, the single phage, the results for the single phage were um, pretty interesting. So in the beginning, the infection was almost eradicated. And then after maybe like six hours, you see a bunch of resistance occurring. So the bacteria just grows like normal. With my approach, there's a little bit of growth in the beginning of the bacteria. And then after around 30 minutes, the infection is completely eradicated. And then with the phage cocktail, the whole infection was eradicated from the uh, from not exactly the beginning, but almost um, probably like 15 minutes in. So when I saw these, I was actually really um, concerned because it doesn't show that my approach was actually better than the current standard. Um, but I thought kind of the, the background that goes into creating these treatments. And I realized that because you can think of my approach in a very mathematical way, you're adding phage after a certain time and you can optimize that time in to make sure that there is resistant bacteria that you need to treat, but that it's not like to a, um, to a high population number. So I created a mathematical model in MATLAB, um, which helps you find that optimal, optimal time interval. So with that mathematical model, you only need a qPCR assay and a growth curve. Both can be done overnight. And then you have, you can um, then administer the treatment. Whereas with a phage cocktail, there's a lot of in vivo and in vitro work you have to do before um, giving the therapy just to make sure that all the phage you're putting together don't compete with one another. So mm -hmm. in that whole scale of, um, or in the whole scope of developing the treatment and then giving it to the patient, my approach is actually much uh, significantly faster and still as effective as the phage cocktail. That sounds amazing. Of course, you've conducted the work in your lab settings, but you also moved into another lab, the math lab, and uh, you could really visualize how your results are portrayed in a mathematical order and how you programmed 
this to be described by mathematical equations or the data sets used. So I think that's a crucial step in finishing the last pixels to to the whole picture of your research. Yeah, that's super cool <laughs> to see. You've conducted this amazing work, but you know, millennials, I think that one of the greatest characteristics is that they are not only described by a visionary approach, but they do really want to make a difference in the future. So how do you envision the project develop in the future? Um, so for now, I really want to develop the mathematical model. That's kind of the most important part to making sure this therapy is actually uh, effective. I want to, dis uh, to test out other species, not just E. coli, um, and then kind of be able to optimize the mathematical model. So it applies to so many other infections, not just um, E. coli. So you're thinking on the broader scale. Exactly, yeah. That's super cool. And we should not eliminate the fact that you were competing at ISAF. So how would you describe your ISAF experience? Was it for your first time entering the competition? Yeah, it was my first time. Um, it was so amazing. I don't like I already had high expectations going in, but um, I think everyone's completely surpassed those. So it was amazing to see all the um, amazing work that other high schoolers have been doing all around the world, which is um, kind of mind blowing to me. I thought it was super cool that they in, that they incorporate like uh, fun events like the the student mixer and the pin exchange, um, kind of to show that even though we're kind of all nerds, um, we know how to have fun, <laughs> which was uh, super exciting. We can't deny those dance moves. Exactly. <laughs> Science and fun all together combined, and it's just crazy to think about that. Just as you mentioned, students are entering from all over the world, and I've been just reminded. I think it was like in. 1896, the Paris, the grand exhibition when the newest innovations were shown at the conference. But that's like the the tech and the modern version of that, but student style. And I think it's just a great pool of future scientists. I think it's really good to get to know each other and you know make contacts. I'm I'm sure you you've done that and you gained a lot of new friends too. Yeah, super cool. You have not only been part of the ISAF experience, but you're also attending the iGEM competition or the Jamboree in Boston this November, as I just shared in the intro with the listeners. So um, first, before getting into the project, have you been to the iGEM before? Yeah, um, I went last uh, last year. Pretty, it was kind of similar to ISAF without like all the uh, cool like mixers and um, fun events, but it was it kind of gave off the similar vibe of like all these students presenting their work, which is uh, awesome. That's so cool. For some people who don't know what iGEM is, could you expand on uh, what kind of research projects did you guys bring to that competition? And, and how was the whole experience outlook of the competition? The idea behind iGEM is essentially just for teams um, to do research on uh, genetically modifying organisms. So a lot of times this means using um, bacteria to express different genes that are naturally expressed and then towards um, some kind of purpose. So with my team, um, we're trying to degrade, we're trying to use bacteria um, E. coli for the application of oil spill cleanup. Um, but there are so many other categories too, like people use um, bacteria for uh, medicinal applications or um, plant sciences, and there are so many categories, uh, and the projects are all really, really diverse. But about our own project, uh, we essentially have three different parts to our project. So one of them is degrading 
what are called PAHs, or polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. They're the most toxic compounds found in crude oil. Uh, so for us, they can be carcinogenic and have um, a lot of toxic health effects. We're using E. coli to degrade those PAHs, um, as well as other hydrocarbons that, um, that can also be harmful. And then we're taking the byproducts of that degradation and then converting them into uh, biohydrogen or hydrogen gas, um, which can then be used as clean energy. So it's really like a um, multi-step process. So it's really interesting that you are working on a global scale problem because it affects uh, various niches of our environment. You say that, of course, you're working with E. coli to eliminate those toxic compounds um, from crude oil. Do you introduce that or do you modify the metabolic pathway of the bacteria or what's your approach? I'm not sure how many or what kind of portion can be said in the interview, but can you give us some details? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so a lot of different bacteria ha can are able to degrade these pHs. Um, so a really hot topic is uh, what scientists have called oil-eating bacteria. So we're taking pathways from where bacteria degrade pHs, um, and then we're taking the genes that can, that make up those pathways and essentially putting them into E. coli. That makes the E. coli able to degrade those pHs. So you're copying that mechanism and implementing it in the bacterium. Right, yeah. Okay, that's super cool. Of course, you've been working in the field of microbiology, but is there a difference when you are doing a project involved in synthetic biology? Um, yeah, there's a lot of more... Um, I would say for synthetic biology, it's equal parts or maybe even more micro, uh, molecular biology and microbiology. So there's a lot of really kind of tedious uh, <laughs> changes that have to be made to like the DNA and how you structure, how you um, develop plasmids. So on that level, um, I would say, at least in my experience, there's almost more time spent into optimizing the DNA sequences um, and then finally working with the bacteria itself. It's really a lot modifying the settings and working on those little details. Which yeah. The research pro project is targeting a problem that affects all of us. When we hear about research projects such as yours that we have, I think, people in general who might not be involved in a scientific field, but students who are doing um, STEM projects that, who is the person beyond the project board who, who did this uh, work? And that's why I have questions that are more personal and not so scientific related, but still has a contribution to the work <laughs> that you do. So what inspired you to start conducting microbiological research? In the beginning, I was always a little bit off-put by um, microbiologists I, because I had a kind of different view. I was like, how can these people spend years of their life and their research just studying one um, species of bacteria, which is <laughs> super consuming, obviously. But um, once I started kind of tinkering around with uh, bacteria in the high school, uh, in the biology classroom, I was kind of blown away even from the first time I plated bacteria on an agar plate and um, the next day, you know, you see colonies popping up. Um, I just thought that was super duper cool. And the fact that bacteria is all, all like everywhere that we um, interact with shows that it has enormous implications on us and everyone um, who we have relationship with and, uh, you know, work with, etc. So I think for me, it was kind of that switch turned on when I started when I saw how bacteria grow overnight and, you know, being able to play with that, it's almost like um, going back to uh, 
uh, like having all these hands-on activities when I was little, like working in the sandbox and things like that. Yeah, they, they make such good memories as you were telling your first exposure to microbiology. And I totally get your love about the agar plates or the molar hinton plates. I think they're just such cool texture too. But yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the joy really comes when after two, 24 hours of incubation, you finally go back to the lab and surprise, new little creatures were born out of nowhere. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. When you're working with bacteria, of course, you need equipment to protect yourself. So you kind of look like white Darth Vader. (laughs) It's just truly amazing. I just read this article a couple of days ago that they found out that there are more genes in our human microbiome than stars in the universe, which is just kind of incredible to think about. Microbiology has... A lot of future era when microbiologists really popped in was after penicillin, and that was a mistake. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but also amazing that, yeah, you know, we both worked with antibiotic resistance. Yeah. We can see. But but I'm so sad that we didn't get to meet in person because we were almost in the same aisle, I think. Me too, yeah. That would have been great. But it's really cool to see how ISEF is connecting people, you know, after even after the event, especially with this podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's really the goal of, of doing it. So, yeah, if we were talking about microbiology, do you plan to choose that as your major in, in your uni studies? Well, I have a few more years left, um, but right now I'm really kind of uh, gearing towards that. I really enjoy it, but we'll see what you know, what happens. Yeah, and, and I think that no matter what you choose, there will be a little microbiology involved if you go to the molecular biology pathway or anything, but it's it's a great experience for sure. And yeah. not to mention that you brought home second award. Uh, how did you feel when you received it, like walking up on stage? Oh my gosh. Uh, that's, yeah. Um, it was really funny because uh, they announced fourth place and third place. You know, they go in... Um, kind of backwards order and after third place I uh after third place microbiology I texted my um my family and I was like yeah I don't I definitely didn't get anything (laughs) like it was a great experience but I'm not it's uh it's like kind of hopeless at this point and then um they announced second place microbiology as the second person like in that group yeah I don't know once I heard San Diego I I just remember (laughs) like struggling to get up because I was like so overwhelmed by everything that was crazy. That was like a very sweet surprise that you were not expecting it and then you heard your name and the, like the big shock shows your humility because the judge just thought that you are better and you deserve that second grand award at the ISAP. So. Thank you. In today's episode, the STEM shoutout goes to a STEM nonprofit organization, STEAM for All, who is better to tell us about it all than Pranav Mudgalia, board member of the organization. Hello, Pranav, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's super glad to be on the podcast today. Absolutely. So I'm really interested. Could you expand on the work you do? Yeah, so Steam for All is a 501 nonprofit here in California, United States, and we're a uh, nonprofit that focuses on spreading um, steam related events, so like science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics, to uh, many elementary and middle school students, especially in very underserved areas. So, does it involve volunteering opportunities? How can WOM be part of this organization? What's the structure like? 
Sure. So Steam for All operates uh, with main layers. So the very, very base layer is all of our student volunteers. So Steam for All is an organization that uses, is completely student-run and student-sustained. So we utilize high school volunteers to uh, run all of our events and all of our activities. So any high schooler can event, any high schooler can participate and volunteer at our events. And we also have individual school chapters, which are extensions of Steam for All organizations at different high schools. And currently we have about 10 to 12 different chapters in Orange County, which is the primary location that Steam for All is located. But through this podcast and through other venues, we're trying to expand our organization so anybody in anywhere can start a Steam for All high school chapter. That sounds amazing that you are activating the youth to pursue helping others to be involved in STEM or STEAM, involving the arts. So hearing all about it, I'm curious, what was the motivation or inspiration behind making this happen? Yeah, so in 2007, uh, Orange County was a very like academically dominated community, but there wasn't any kind of outreach that like brought these kinds of STEAM and STEM-related events to uh, underserved areas. So STEAM Fall initially started out in 2007 at the Orange County Math Circle, and we fulfilled math tournaments and math-related activities specifically uh, for elementary school students. But after the Orange County Math Circle in 2007, we then further expand to include another uh, organization called OC Science and then OC Scholar, which focuses on journalism. And uh, organization by organization, the OC Math Circle 2007 became what we have today, which is Team for All 2019. This is wonderful how you build this all up and I wish that it will expand even more. So that's why I'm asking about where can others reach you and any additional information you want to give to the listeners. Yeah, so I definitely recommend that you guys check out steamforall.org. That's S-T-E-A-M-F-O-R-A-L-L.org. You can join us by uh, creating a school chapter and there's all the information on our website. If you are located in Orange County, which potentially could be likely, uh, you are welcome to come to our meetings as well. Uh, you can email us at info at steamfall.org. But if you're located anywhere else, we would urge you to start a school chapter. We think it's one of the best ways that you can get involved with Steam for All. As a school chapter, you can be an independent branch of Steam for All. So you can host your own activities in your own community, and we will provide you with all the necessary resources, packages, and uh, tools to provide like fantastic Steam education for uh, high school, for middle school and elementary students. I know that there are listeners from California, and if anyone is in another place, they can just jump right in and start this wonderful work because it impacts the future generations. So thanks for sharing this because I think it's a very valuable STEM shout out. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, we look forward to working with you guys in the future, and to all the listeners, please make sure you check out steamfall.org. We really enjoyed this uh, quick Steam shout out. Of course, it's the prime of conducting scientific research when you receive an award, but we all do face setbacks during research. Have you experienced those times when you thought that you hit a roadblock? And what is, in your opinion, an effective way in overcoming them? (laughs) Yeah, um, that's a really, really important question, I think. And uh, for me, there were definitely setbacks probably at every possible place, Um, even from the very beginning of my experiments, like trying to grow phage all the way to... Uh, my first approach not working out. Um, So for me, what really propels me to the next to keep going is 
even like the tiny successes that you have within your experiments like for example being able to grow phage down a agar plate for the first time like that really propels you i think to uh, want to keep going and persevere through those obstacles for me it really takes kind of um, a different perspective from looking at the problem so i think it's really easy to um to just be really negative about it and you know think uh like this didn't work out and maybe it never will but what really helps for me is to kind of look at different perspectives so uh sometimes reading more research papers and seeing what other scientists have done against that problem um and sometimes all it takes is really just a little bit of time off of it so um sometimes just being out of the lab for a few days and uh kind of mulling over the problem has been successful for me but yeah i think it's definitely a problem that plagues all of us as research <laughs> as scientists it's great to unwind and get away uh, from the wide walls of the lab for a while and not weigh down your brain with just loads of facts and facts. When you think that that you've had enough, how do you unwind and um, how do you regain your perspective on, on research again? So outside of research, I do swim. So uh, I took a break from swim during like the peak of my research because you know, it was so busy and I didn't have much time to, to go to practice. And um, I found like one, one of the days I just took a break from my research and then went to practice and my head completely cleared up. And I think that's the amazing effect of being able to work out or do some physical exertion. Um, and I think we really don't give that as much credit as it should get because it seems like such a hassle to, to go to the gym or um, go do something, you know, outside. But I think, at least for me, it's had amazing effects. Um, another really awesome thing is just listening to music. Uh, I know a lot of people listen to music in the lab too, to focus. Um, but for me, it's really a great way to kind of unwind and, um, release a bunch of stress. Yeah, totally. And, and as for swimming, I think we all need that shot of, uh, non-epinephrine to, <laughs> to, to get us going. Which is your favorite stroke? Um, I really like backstroke. That's my, I think that's my best stroke, so... As a result, it's my favorite. <laughs> well, it's a lot of arm strength. Um, I swam competitively when I was little. So oh, really? Yeah, I, I did. So um, awesome. the hometown I live just in brackets is like a, a huge swimming nation and waterfall nation. So I think it was like encoded in my genes. <laughs> but I always feared, I don't know how you deal with that. Um, I think you do it fine, but... When you're doing the backstroke, I was always afraid that I'm going to hit the wall with my arms and or with my head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially when I was little, I would always worry about that. And then I learned about, like, counting your strokes at the end. Oh, um, really? Yeah, like, when t once you reach the flags. Uh, and that definitely helped. That's <laughs> a cool technique. I think every backstroker has suffered a few Um <laughs> blows to the head yeah concussions yeah that would be like a research project you know how the the amount of concussions between the four strokes so you were talking about music what's your go-to pump-up song you you play hmm. i usually listen to like pop um and a lot of pretty much every genre besides uh country regularly <laughs> um a, a really weird kind of song that no one really knows about um and everyone laughs when we hear this, but a song that's really helped me drop, at least in swimming, is um, the Pokemon theme song. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a trap remix on it, and it actually like really helps you pump up. 
But yeah, it sounds also really nerdy, I guess. <laughs> it's a fun song. Yeah, it must be. I'm gonna tune in to after the interview and, <laughs> and let's see its effect on my mood. <laughs> That's cool. There's this segment and it's about the if questions. So we're gonna envision situations, but it's cool to, to think about the scenarios. And the upcoming one is that if you could have dinner with anyone, living today or in the past, who would you choose and why? That's a, that's a hard question. Um, I think I would want to have dinner with Rosalind Franklin. Um, so for you know viewers who might not know, she um, imaged the first photograph of DNA and then after Watson and Crick kind of um took took credit for discovering DNA yeah. um I think it would be really interesting to have dinner with her and just kind of see you know show her how much science has come forward in terms of you know having equality for for both women and men compared to her generation of course um and also kind of see what her thoughts are on on people being able to conduct science no matter what their background is which is you know, a theme that we see so often in ISAF with people from all kinds of different countries and um, uh, living situations and things like that. I think it would be a really interesting conversation. Yes, for sure. And especially that she was, just as you said, a pioneer woman scientist in the STEM fields who gained credit um, after her dad, regrettably. But I think that there is a lot of improvement in supporting women in scientific fields and that no matter your background ethnicity living situation or gender for example um, there are no limits at ISAF so it's truly purely your scientific knowledge and how you represent your work um, the U.S. is very relieving in that aspect but have you experienced any setbacks you know being a woman in scientific fields um I think there's a lot of you know direct uh, encouragement for women to pursue science I think it's a bit more subtle where people will kind of automatically think um, that, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I don't want to generalize, but sometimes um, males are a bit more, um, like, intellectual. Mm -hmm. I think once you kind of prove yourself, I think it's fine after that. But I think, like, the first step, getting your foot in the door is really hard. Um, but thankfully, there's a lot of programs that are uh, currently going on and being developed just to help women get that step. So... You know, I think it is a big problem that we still face, but uh, it's it's looking optimistic in terms of where we're going. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think that it's truly growing, but there are definitely countries where that is not the norm. And I think that especially lifting those women up is really encouraging to, to pursue their dreams, no matter what the status quo is. Completely agree. Um, just a lighter topic, what would a perfect day constitute for you? <laughs> I would, I think, probably forget about all my responsibilities <laughs> for just a day, and then um, maybe like hang out with my friends or go out to eat. Yeah, just a really basic perfect day, but um, especially in the light of like all the... Uh, um, the excitement of high school, I think it would be good to just take a day off and then sit back. Um, Relax on maybe. the beach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, in San Diego, the beach is like 10 minutes away, so that would be perfect, I think. Yes, it must be so beautiful, especially the sunset picture you, you sent me a couple of oh, weeks yeah. ago. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. And you can go swimming in the ocean. I used to be really um, afraid of like all the tides, but... Now I think I'm used to it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. 
Have you met any sharks? I have not, <laughs> but there are a lot of there are actually a surprising number of shark sightings. So,、um, I guess always be aware of that. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I'm glad that you haven't had that special encounter. <laughs> Talking about a little bit of these. Problems in society, but you, of course, have a free choice to answer however you want. But if you had a magic wand, so if you had complete power and could wave it and change something, what would you change in our society? I think with the emergence of social media,、um, it's obviously a really great tool to to be able to connect with everyone and、uh, spread a lot of awareness. But I think we need to kind of move away from that and. Actually, go into direct change. So, for example, I'm sure you've seen this, and a lot of the viewers, a lot of the listeners, have. But、um, like a lot of these pages and pictures that will be shared to、uh, just raise awareness. But it doesn't seem like there's a lot of actual、uh, direct change that's been happening. So, if I had a magic wand, I would want to、um, kind of be able to gear people more towards making that change and making the difference, rather than just、um, you know spreading like. A poster that says that talks about the the problem,、um, which I think is still an important step of the process. So you know, identifying the problem and being able to show people that it is a problem. But I'd like for more people to actually go out and and、uh, make that change in society. That's a perfect answer because you are encouraging someone not to talk the talk, but to walk the walk, and you know, not just to have a nice feed and. And that's all. I've heard about scams too. You know, where there's a disaster and they just want to get your money, but they do not put in any action. Yeah,、so、exactly. It's really disturbing how they spread false information. Great to to show support, but just as you said, you also have to put in your share of actions too. This generation is really characterized by tech-savvy people, so it can be used for good. But yeah, be on the lookout. <laughs> Back again with the future. Visionary approach. What is your ultimate goal in life? I think aside from you know like career goals,、uh, which I can't really answer right now since I'm not、um, quite sure what I want to do.、Um, I just I hope I'm doing something that that excites me and constantly propels me to learn,、um, which I think for now science is doing for me and I hope it continues to do.、Um, but also just be able to. This is so cliche, but you know, be happy <laughs> with、yeah. anything. That I do in the future, and be able to maintain, you know, my friendships and、uh, all the like, all my inner circles with、uh, people who I've met from like things like ISEF and IJEM. I don't know. I really hope they stay close. And,、um, yeah, I think that would be my ultimate goal. I really like this answer because I think that. Like we have goals in front of us, long term, short term, and we have a lot of things we haven't figured out yet. And I think that's totally normal. We will all have during our lifetime here on Earth. But it really matters how we get to the point that we've set up for ourselves, because it doesn't really matter when we achieve it, because that's just momentary. But the path that we took to get there is what really matters. Nurturing your friendships and having those connections is just so crucial. Yeah. Involving that,、um, there's this little segment called the this or that game section. So the first one is movie or book. <laughs>、um, I think probably book. When I see, or if it were like a movie adaptation of a book,、um, usually I'm like a little frustrated because、uh, when you read the book, you can have any, you know, image or vision of what the characters are experiencing in the setting. But then the movie kind of just 
breaks that down and does whatever the director thinks. Yeah. But yeah, both are great, but I, I, I would choose both. So you have your inner critic self revived? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the product will become subjective to, to their own um, approach. But I think that it's the best reading the book, just as you mentioned, and then having your own personal commentary on the film. Yeah. And the second one, casual or formal? Honestly, I think maybe formal, because you for formal, it's not like an everyday thing anyways. It's probably for like a week at most. Um, but... It's like super, I think it's really fun to kind of dress up and see everyone in that informal wear. So for hokos and I know proms, it, it, it's cool to, yeah, dress up. Especially for girls, like boys are like, oh, okay, that's like an event. But <laughs> for girls yeah. especially, we can, they have the tuxedo and we have like a thousand or millions of choices of dresses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like your inner princess coming out. Do you like Disney? Um, yeah, I really like Disney. Okay, so which is your top Disney princess character? Um, I saw Aladdin, the, the live action, which I thought would be bad because, um, you know, live actions are usually not that great, but it was actually pretty good. Um, I like Jasmine for her, like, fierce independence, um, and I like Mulan, too. I think those are my probably my top choices. Yes, I totally support the dancer, Mulan, as well. And I think that Mulan, the live action, is coming next year. Yeah, the trailer looks really good, so I'm super psyched. Hamburger or pizza? I think pizza, because, I, I don't know, I feel like there's so many more options with pizza. <laughs> you can choose, like, all these toppings and even, like, the type of crust, which you can do with hamburgers, but I feel like the basic layout of hamburgers is always the same. What would be your, like, toppings to go with, with pizza? Green peppers and chicken, some kind of meat. <laughs> and the next one is dancing or painting? Dancing. Also... Um, Isis has a bit of a contribution in this, but seeing everyone at the mixer yeah. was really fun. <laughs> yes, absolutely. If you had an airplane ticket to anywhere, where would you go? I think if I were trying to look for somewhere new, um, I've never been to Europe, so I would really like to go somewhere in Europe, maybe, you know, Hungary. Yeah, um, stop by. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also really liked Canada. I've been, or if I were to go somewhere that I've already been, um, Canada was super fun and everyone's so nice. Yes, and they have medical syrup, bless them souls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you do get a chance to, to go, come to Europe, Hungary is, is very nice. Budapest is, it has been awarded the most beautiful European city in 2019. Oh, wow. So that's why yeah, you're. <laughs> Okay, that's my Hungarian pride coming up here, but yeah, it, it's a nice place to go. The last question is a little bit of wrapping up kind of question. So what does science mean to you? Um, to me, science is um, not just about, you know, making these amazing strides and um, affecting people's lives with all these, uh, you know, advancements and um, new technologies being released, but I think it's also, also has a large part in how we communicate that to people so I mean science communication is like a hot rising topic but for me I think uh, it's particularly important I think in the U.S. everyone can kind of agree that uh, it's it's the way that we talk about science with other people that really um, helps them understand it and uh, make choices based on it I think with that like the rise of citizen science is really really exciting just for the fact that anyone can really contribute to science and not just read about it in like the news and 
in the past, science can have like a kind of pretentious or elitist connotation, but um, I mean, it doesn't have to be that way. And I'm glad, I'm excited for where, you know, things like citizen science are going to take us. Reaching out to the public. And I think that uh, just as you mentioned um, here that they promote action and if it's portrayed to them in a way that is inspiring or engaging, they will be more likely to carry the actions on their own too. Talking about your research can inspire other scientists too and I think this conversation has had a lot of messages to, to take in heart. You also inspired the listeners whatever their background is and I really enjoyed our conversation and congratulations on your award at Intel. I wish you the best for the iGEM competition and as whole together for the future. Thank you so much. I really um, appreciate having this conversation. You can find us on Instagram at Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and make sure to stay tuned for the next one.